2: For Montana's only daily sports talk show, Nuanas Now. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television.
0: I like football! Hello everybody? Welcome in. Nuanez Now, ESPN Radio, SWX by t- Television, and the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on this Thursday. We got hoops for you. We got NFL for you. We got FCS National Championship for you. We got a whole bunch of fun for you. We will start things off with Sam Herter, Hero Sports, talking all things FCS National Championship game today and maybe... Some storylines going into the offseason as well. We'll also hear from Travis DeCure, head coach of the University of Montana. It's been a couple weeks since Coach DeCure came on. The longest road trip in 17 years for Grizz basketball. I didn't really realize that because we were sort of awash in football. But the Grizz were on the road basically the last three weeks of December all the way then until – the middle of the first week of January, so I think uh, a, a grand total of three weeks on the road. Obviously, there are comings and goings, and you know some guys came home. They weren't just you know staying in hotels that whole time, but you know road trip is a sort of um, arbitrary term in this case. But it's been a long time since the Grizz played a home basketball game. Uh, they played on Saturday night at home, obviously against South Dakota, but that was a non-conference game. They have their Big Sky opener tonight, so they, I mean it is January 11th, and we're talking about the first Big Sky home game for the University of Montana men's basketball team. So that's tonight, Northern Colorado in town. So Coach Shakiro, join us about 4:40 or about 4:30, excuse me. Uh, we'll keep on talking coaches and legacies and. When you reach the end, it's uh, pretty interesting that three icons in the world of football, all of whom are now in their early 70s, decided to step away all on the same day. Nick Saban announces his retirement. Pete Carroll uh, and the the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks kind of forced him out, but it was was spun as a mutual parting of ways. And then same thing in New England. Bill Belichick, done as the head coach of the New England Patriots, 24 seasons at the helm. So you had... I mean, there's only a couple coaches in the NFL that have 10 plus year tenures at the helm. And two of them, Pete Carroll, who had 14 years in Seattle, Bill Belichick, who had 24 seasons in New England, both uh, will be elsewhere. Pete Carroll, I I believe, probably is going to retire. And Belichick, who knows where he ends up? He might end up in L.A. with the Chargers. See, I got it right. I got it right. I almost said San Diego, but I didn't. I said L.A. (laughs) He, He might end up with the Chargers. Um, who knows where Belichick might end up, though? I don't think Vegas. I think Las Vegas will probably retain Antonio Pierce. He did a good job. I, actually, I think he did a great job as the interim coach there. He also sort of has the uh, the renegade type swashbuckling personality that you want in a Raiders head coach. But who knows? Who knows where Belichick ends up? And then Saban, who knows what's next? I think he's probably done with coaching. Is TV next? I'm not sure. And and what's going on in Alabama? So we'll talk about that a little bit. Then it's the NFL playoffs, and there's a full slate of games this weekend. Also, if you're driving around Missoula right now, I guess I can look out the window. Oh, it looks like it's cleared up a little bit. For a moment in time, there was a full-on whiteout. We've been bemoaning the the, uh, non-arrival of winter so far. And then all of a sudden, during this afternoon here in western Montana, bam, it was winter. Well, it's certainly going to be winter across the Treasure State all weekend. They're talking about uh, highs across the state in the negative degrees. We're talking some places in the state they're going to be minus 40 and above. I heard minus 52 in Cutbank on Saturday, so that sounds great. That's all to say that you're probably going to be hanging out at home, making some soup, you know, turning the heat up, and not leaving your house. Well, good news for you. There's all sorts of NFL games to entertain you. Two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and one on Monday. So we'll go through all of the games. They elongated all football all the time with all the uh, sports betting advice we can garner, plus some of the main storylines and uh, some confirmations of some of the good futures bets that we made uh, during the uh, the beginning. Uh, of the year back in, in August and September. So there you go. That's what's coming up here uh, on Nuwana's Now. If you want to stream the show, you always can. 1029 ESPN.com. Click on Listen Live and you'll find the stream. If you want to be a part of the show, you also can always do that. 406-888-1029. That's 888 And all guests will join us via the Rangich Brothers RV phone line. Uh, Sam Herder, Hero Sports, coming up here in about five minutes, but wanted to talk a little bit more. I know we talked about it a fair amount yesterday, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the news of the day yesterday and, and sort of the uh, the transfer portal season that we are in. So here's the here's the way that the logistics are working right now. The transfer portal and the the, the open periods and the deadlines to enter. They have defined rudders now. When you can enter and when it closes. That's come and gone for players that are hoping to transfer to the FBS. But the FBS portal window does have a bylaw in which there's a five-day extension for the young men who play in the national championship game. So that means just two teams, Montana and South Dakota State, they have five days from Sunday. So I guess I'm actually unsure if that means it's Friday or Saturday. But either way, by the end of the week, we will know who's staying, who's going. You can obviously enter the transfer portal a little later on. I think there's another period in February. Then there's another period in, uh, I believe, April after uh, spring ball gets over. So certainly if if, uh, there's news throughout the rest of this week regarding Grizz guys or South Dakota State guys, or there's not news, that's not the end of it, but it is the end of it for right now. So the one guy who's hopped in the portal so far, that's a huge consequence. I mean, by the way, Ethan Barney, who is a redshirt freshman, offensive lineman for the University of Montana, he entered the portal earlier this afternoon. He's a guy that's just kind of a depth guy, uh, kind of unsure. You know, the way the grids practice, they're mostly ones versus ones, ones versus twos, twos versus ones, twos versus twos. Sometimes you get some threes in there. Yeah. Uh, I think he was, Ethan Barney was probably climbing his way up, and I don't know if he was even in that that third group quite yet. Um, but we'll see. We'll keep you updated on any other sort of fringe guys like that. But the number one entry, of course, is Clifton McDowell, the quarterback for the University of Montana. He was the newcomer of the year in the Big Sky Conference this last season. Uh, certainly, the Grizz deciding to turn the the controls of the offense over to him was a huge turning point in their season. I think just identifying a guy, period, certainly made a difference. I think having a guy that you could crack your offense around certainly made a difference. I think having a guy who's a a powerful running quarterback certainly made a difference. That said, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I think that you need to be more consistently um, polished and more consistently savvy at quarterback if you want to truly reach... The mountaintop. Montana had an awesome run. Getting the two seed was a windfall for Montana. Being, I think the Grizz were a really, really good team this year. Obviously, they played for the national championship. But I do think that being able to win the games that they did when they won them, especially down the stretch, like those wins over Sac State and Montana State at home – Loomed so large because that got the Grizz the two seed. They didn't have to leave Washington Grizzly Stadium. When you're playing at home, you're playing at Wash Grizz. you got that defense and those special teams. You can dominate people even if you get just okay, if not subpar, quarterback play. Clifton McDowell played lights out against Montana State. That was the last time he really played lights out for the Grizz, though. He was uh, sort of shaky early and then pretty good late against Delaware. Uh, he was, I would say, average at best against Furman, and I would say he was below average against North Dakota State. They won in spite of that because of Junior Bergen's heroics and the awesome play of the Grizz defense. But then in the in the uh, National Championship game, I, I think that when people talk about the gap between South Dakota State and Montana, I think the gap lies in three primary areas. I think the, the prowess and prestige of South Dakota State's offensive line apparent, the depth of their defensive line apparent, and just how cool of a customer and how smooth of an operator and how much of a just a peerless winner Mark Gronowski is at quarterback is also the, the third advantage I thought South Dakota State had over Montana. I guess my question for people that are asking me, what does Montana need to do to to close the gap? If you traded quarterbacks in that game, South Dakota State and Montana, Mark Gronowski for Clifton McDowell straight across, how does that influence the result? I would say that that would give the Grizz – A leg up as perhaps even the favorite in that game, if not maybe closing the gap quite a bit and making it an even money coin flip type game. So um, McDowell was, this is where the polarization comes in, right? McDowell on one hand was an excellent addition, deserved to be the newcomer of the year in the Big Sky. He was part of the turning point of the season for Montana. And certain elements of what he brought to the offense will be hard to replace. But I truly believe that if you're going to get over the top and you're going to win the whole thing, and this is how hard it is to win it, you just have to be as complete a team as you possibly can. And the Grizz were a really good team this year. They were awesome defensively. I thought they were good, but could... But, but they were good and sometimes very good but a little bit short of being great on the offensive front. I thought they have outstanding receivers I thought their quarterback play was, was above average at times. For brief moments in time it was excellent but mostly it was just slightly above average. If you have an excellent quarterback with those receivers that's the thing I think evens the playing field uh, if you're Montana. So what is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. It is a new year so we're switching up the order of things just a little bit but this guy, Joe, us all season long. You're accustomed to hearing him lead Wednesday shows. Well, now we're into basketball season, so we have the around the big sky in hoops to lead Wednesday's shows now. So appreciate him for being flexible. Sam Herter, Hero Sports and Bet MGM joining us now uh, on Nuan now. Sam, thanks for the time, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. I appreciate being back on. We'll talk about just the uh the ins and outs of the of the national championship contest itself. But first, just tell us about your Frisco experience, man. What would you think of being down there? You've been down there a whole bunch of times, but most of the time, uh, North Dakota State was at least one of the sides of the participants, and that just brings a whole element to the environment and the tailgating and, and all the lead-up in the couple days before the game. This was the first time in a really, really long time that the, there was a fall championship game in Frisco in which... North Dakota State was not participating. It was also the first time that the Montana fan base has been to Frisco. And then now South Dakota State's the one that's becoming a little bit accustomed to to making the trip. So what what did you think of just the dynamic of having the Grizz and the Jackrabbits down there at the same time? And, and just how was your time in general?
1: Yeah, it, you know, this isn't meant to be an in, uh, in, indirect shot or anything at Bison fans, but but Frisco felt rejuvenated this year For sure re-energized uh, this year. And that's, you know, j- just, natural with this being the first time in Frisco for Montana fans, uh, South Dakota state has been there three times in the last four years, but it's still relatively new to South Dakota state fans. And so both fan bases were just super, super energized. Um, you know, brought the juice, uh, you know, a quick story. I was walking uh, before the game, I was walking down from the press box to the field, um, and the Montana, uh, you know, side was, was on the press box side and I was kind of, you know, walking close to a lady, uh, you know, middle-aged lady, and all of a sudden she runs forward and starts yelling. I can't believe we're here right now! How awesome is this? And she was like running toward you know a group of a group of friends, and it was just like small stuff like that of like just overhearing fans talking about how awesome it was to be there and, and stuff like that. It was just it, it felt more of like a genuine appreciation and passion uh, to be playing for a national championship. And so Montana fans, um, you know, brought the juice. Uh, I thought they were louder than South Dakota State fans. Uh, I thought numbers-wise, South Dakota State maybe had a small advantage in the stadium, maybe like 55% South Dakota State fans, but they were super loud as well. So it just made for uh, an absolute electric atmosphere.
0: When it comes to the lead-up of the game, you're always so good at picking out some of the little nuggets that come out of all the, the press conferences and stuff like that. Um, so, just in terms of the logistics, the planning—you know, some of the stuff in the future, all that. What did you think of the lead-up? Did you get anything that, that maybe caught your eye or, or uh, was thought-provoking in terms of uh, just FCS news in general?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a, a decent uh, chunk of that. You know, after I, shortly after I landed, was uh, when news broke that uh, ESPN and uh, the NCAA signed a new postseason uh, package for their postseason NCAA tournaments. I'm a little surprised that women's basketball wasn't, uh, you know, unpackaged from that. It was all part of the same package deal that uh, includes the FCS playoffs, um, you know, an eight-year deal, 130 million dollars a year, $115 million, somewhere around there. Uh, that's way more than $31 million uh, per year that the NCAA was getting. Um, and so with that new increase in, in annual revenue, uh, there is a lot of optimism just asking around, Uh, Whether it be commissioners or ADs or people in the NCAA, uh, they feel like this increase in annual revenue overall is going to help, is going to help the FCS uh, and especially the FCS playoffs. You know, seeding more teams in the FCS playoffs um, looks like it's promising to happen next season, uh, you know, potentially seeding 16 teams in the 2014 playoff. And that would just help with less regionalization. It would help with more equal second round matchups. Like you wouldn't see Montana State you know, versus North Dakota State, who, you know, I was told if they seeded 16 teams, NDSU would have been the number nine seed. So, you know, you wouldn't have seen Montana State, North Dakota State uh, in the second round if they were able to seed uh, more teams. And so that was a a big talking point. Um, You know, the the national title game is going to stay in Frisco for at least a few more years. Um, I I, I did hear that there is interest from other cities to host the FCS national championship game, uh, and the the NCAA is going to open it up uh, for a bid. Back in 2019, when Frisco got an extension on his contract, they didn't—they did not open it up for a bid. They basically said, "Hey, Frisco, do you still want it?" Okay, great. Let's 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 extend you guys for you know whatever six or seven more years. The next go around, you know, again, this is a few years down the road, they're going to open it up to a bid. Um, and and it sounds like a few more cities are interested in hosting this game going forward.
0: Very interesting. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Sam Herder joining us here uh, on this Thursday. How about the game, then? I, I think that uh, you and I were both in agreement that South Dakota State was in a league of its own. I think we thought that from the beginning of the season all the way through the end of the season. That said, I thought that there were some things that struck me watching the game where you're like, man, the Grills were so good at these different things, and, and South Dakota State's still got the upper hand. How impressive. There was other things that struck me where I thought, and the Grizz aren't as far away as maybe I I once projected. They're certainly not as far as away as I thought they were from South Dakota State months ago. Um, so, what did this think of the game? What were your main takeaways from South Dakota State's twenty three to three win over Montana?
1: Yeah, it was just kind of a it was like an odd game from a game flow perspective because the the first half was was very ugly. Uh, certainly, the defenses looked really good, but there was there was some, you know, offensive execution stuff, some, some special teams execution stuff in the first half where it was just kind of a, a game that was totally out of sync. And and that was, you know, really the the type of game that Montana needed. I felt going into it to have a chance uh, at winning. And then, you know, the third quarter, the last seven minutes of the third quarter was when South Dakota state, I think put 16 points, you know, on the board and then nothing happened in the fourth quarter and it was a 23 uh, to three win. So it was kind of a, uh, kind of an odd game, like I said, from a game flow perspective. I, I wasn't surprised that South Dakota State won by uh, three three scores. Um, I think I predicted a, a three. I think it was like thirty four seventeen or something like that that I predicted South Dakota State to win uh, by seventeen points. And so the the, the margin of victory wasn't a, a surprise. Uh, but I thought Montana would be able to uh, pop a, a few more explosive plays, whether it be special teams uh, or on offense. Uh, really didn't dial up, or I guess I shouldn't say dial up. They didn't attempt any. Any um, explosive plays, you know, offensively, whether that was through play calls or just, you know, Clifton not, not taking a shot when when maybe he had it, you know, I'm not sure. But I just didn't really felt like that explosiveness was there from, from Montana. And uh, for South Dakota State to hold that offense to three points was, was very, very impressive. And, and that's something that the, Jacks, that the Jacks have been doing really all season long.
0: We always, you know... Uh, we, we like to turn the page quick when it, when it comes to in the media and start uh, talking about the future and uh, projecting. But before we do that, where do you think this team stacks up now, the South Dakota State team? Now that they've won 29 in a row, they went back to back. Yeah, I wrote this article about how they've gotten to this point and the challenge of repeating and, and all, that di- all that different stuff. Because I just find it fascinating that the FCS, it's been a place where dynasties have existed just in terms of elongated runs that maybe included a bunch of deep playoff runs and, and, you know, won two or three national championships over a 10-, 12-, 14-year period or whatever. But North Carolina State blew all that out of the water by winning 9 out of 10. So that's always going to sort of uh, color our perspective of what is the greatest of all time. It's going to be a really long time, if ever, that somebody actually does that again. That said, where do you think this SDSU current run ranks? I think the
1: 2023 squad is... You no, know, probably in the top five uh, somewhere. Um, I, you know the the I think I, I always forget it's either the '95 or the '96 Marshall team. You know, a lot of people put that up there as one of the best teams. Yeah, '96 uh, for time. sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's really and they probably are. I mean, they had like Randy Moss and you know guys like that. But it, to me, it's it's really hard to compare teams twenty five years apart because you know the the overall talent level in the FCS, in my opinion, is much higher now than it, even at what it was, uh, t- uh, you know, ten years ago, and that's just. know, natural with how high school, you know, guys are are, are developing and stuff like that. So I think the overall talent level um, is higher um, just, you know, across sports uh, in general. Uh, But, you know, that 96 Marshall team is is probably up there. Um, As far as the 2000s, I would probably put 2013 North Dakota State number one, uh, just because they were the most complete team and they kind of, you know, started the the dynasty run. Uh, But I do think this 2023 South Dakota State squad is, is, you know, right on par with the 2018 uh, NDSU team is uh, you know, kind of in the top four uh, as far as the 2000s. Uh, I do think the 2019 NDSU team is, you know, the most talented FCS team uh, in 2019 NDSU in the 2000s. Uh, but just because you're the most talented team doesn't mean you're always the most complete team. Um, and that 2019 NDSU team uh, certainly had some, uh, some competitive games uh, in the playoffs, and so they were very talented but maybe less dominant, uh, I guess, in this 20. 20- Uh, 2023 South Dakota State team. So they are uh, certainly up there. And this is one of those things, too, where, you know, like 2019 NDSU, I don't think we realize how good they were until two years later when half of their starting lineup ended up in the NFL. Right. I think maybe the, the same thing could be said for South Dakota State where two years from now, you know, they have like six, seven, eight guys that are all playing significant minutes, you know, in the NFL. And that could maybe paint the picture a little bit better for this 2023 South Florida State team.
0: Such an interesting parallel too, right? Because I, I was thinking that exact thing. I, I would have had the rankings just about right there with you too. I would have said that uh, in whatever order you want her to choose – uh, the 2013, 2018, 2019 NDSU teams are the, the best teams in, in my 17 years covering this level of football. And then South Dakota State was sort of in the mix with them. But it's it's fascinating to think, like you mentioned, like that 2019 NDSU team had a bunch of guys that went to the NFL right after that. But then they had a whole bunch of other guys that were in the program that then two years later went to the NFL as well. And so then when you count it all up, you're like, oh, my gosh. There was like 10 or 12 NFL guys on that team. It just took a couple years for all of them to get to the NFL. That's what's fascinating about the South Dakota State squad, though, is that they have so many great players, so many guys I think are going to get a chance to play on Sundays, and they're all sort of part of the same group. And like you said, maybe there's a couple other guys waiting in the wings that a couple years from now will also be in that boat. But it just seems like this team was – So talented, but also so senior heavy. So, I mean, what's next? How do they sort of turn the page from this? And uh, just tell us about what South Dakota State stands to lose after such a dominant run.
1: Yeah, South Dakota State is not going to be as good next year, but I still think they're going to be pretty dang good. Um, You know, no doubt, in my opinion, the team to beat, even if Mark Gronowski Uh, leaves uh, you know soon I I, I kind of anticipate that he is going to come back for at least one more season but you know there is a there is a you know maybe a 49% chance that he leaves a 51% chance that that he stays and so pretty close to 50-50 obviously even if he does leave I kind of still still feel like South Dakota State is going to be uh, the team to beat Um, you know they're gonna have some some pieces to uh, to replace on the offensive line but Gus Miller is the top center uh, in the FCS, uh, Amar Johnson, their backup running back, I think he's going to be a thousand-yard rusher uh, next season. Uh, they're always going to have some tight end. I don't, I don't have a name on hand, but they're always going to have some tight end that, that step up. Always Griffin Wilde is going to be, really, yeah, <laughs> Griffin Wildey is going to be a really good wide receiver for them. Um, Adam Bach has already announced that he's coming back. Uh, Tucker Large is a really good safety and return man for them. Uh, Dallas Beenum is their uh, a really underrated cornerback for them because Dyson Gales, you know, has gotten some All-American love uh gales is leaving but Beanum is coming back for uh six season. so i think right now the the 2023 south coast state team had uh, i believe 32 seniors and they're losing 18 of them which means 16 seniors on this year's team are coming back to be super seniors they also have 18 juniors on this year's team so if they all come back they're gonna have 34 seniors next year now some a lot of those seniors haven't you know, played starting minutes or anything like that, but they're going to be a very, very veteran squad. Again, they're not going to be as good, but I still think South Dakota State is going to be the team to beat next season.
0: I was really ruminating on this during the three-week lead-up to it. You can point to all these different things that it takes to, to build a program, and South Dakota State has... They've had consistency in spades. I mean... A guy that was there for 27 years as the head coach in John Stegelmeyer, and then he passes it off to his protege, Jimmy Rogers, who wins the national championship in year one. But Jimmy Rogers has been there for 15 out of the last 17 years. I mean, he's basically been there since he was a high school senior to go there and play. So continuity, you check that box. Facilities, you know, great, shiny new stadium, indoor practice facility, the recovery place that they got, all that sort of stuff. That makes sense as well. They also have sort of a a cohesive vision uh, to build this thing. And I think that stems from the consistency. And then they've had the talent part figured out. It's the talent part that I still have a little bit of a hard time understanding how they've been able to uh, garner all of this talent. I guess, how has South Dakota State first closed the gap with some of their Missouri Valley Football Conference rivals, specifically NDSU, probably Northern Iowa in that realm as well, and then surpassed them as well? I mean, what do you think has been the key to getting all these NFL-type guys to spend their time in Brookings,
1: South Dakota. Yeah, it, it's hard to, you know, it, it's easier said than done, what I'm about to say, but they, they just do, they, they've had a coaching staff um, <clears throat> that has had a little bit of turnover over the years, but uh, overall, they've, they've had coaches that just have a really good ability to identify uh, talents. Um, guys that are very under-recruited identify that talent, and then they have a really good developmental system and you know south dakota plays you know pretty pretty good high school football true um it's 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 a still a somewhat under recruited area yet they're, they're having uh you know a decent amount of guys going to the power five like ohio state's uh you know backup quarterback that played in the bowl game um you know he's he's from south dakota and so they do have some power five talent but uh, a lot of their guys on their roster are from south dakota um you know zero star guys that you know if they lived in you know, Alabama or Arizona or California, they probably would be three-star guys. And so uh, I did that story talking about the Dakotas and the Montanas and talking about how them being in rural states is actually uh, beneficial uh, for them because of the support that they get and also because of the homegrown talent that uh, is under-recruited, they can develop, and most of the time, those guys don't want to leave their schools and enter the transfer portal because, hey, I've dreamed all my life of playing for this team, and, you know, why would I? Why would I pass this up for, you know, $20,000 or, you know, whatever the the case may be? So it's just identifying, uh, you know, that that talent and developing it. And, uh, you know, I think they they, they always had really good skill talents, but I think they made it an emphasis back in maybe 2018 to say, you know what, we need to get better on the offensive and defensive lines. And, And that's exactly what they did.
0: It's so true. I mean, I remember when they first decided, okay, the way that we're going to be able to make our own imprint on the Missouri Valley is we're going to recruit great skill guys. And that's when they had that first wave of great guys like Zach Lujan then went on to be the offensive coordinator and Zach Zinner, et cetera, Jake Weineke, et cetera, et cetera, Dallas Goddard. And then they had the next wave with Taryn Christensen and and uh, all these other guys that were you know that were great players and, and Pierre Strong and and all these guys that have gone on to, to great heights as well. Uh, but you know, I think you're right. Fortifying the fronts certainly was was the final step, the key, and uh, they did that. And uh, here they are. I think one guy that deserves credit that maybe hasn't been talked about as much in this whole deal as Jason Eck. He was there for quite some time coaching the offensive line, and then as the offensive coordinator. I know he helped recruit and develop several of those good guys. I mean, Mason McCormick, the All-American offensive guard from South Dakota State, he officially declared for the NFL draft today. I do think he will be an NFL-type guy. I don't know if he's going to get drafted, but I think he's absolutely going to get in the camp, and he could get drafted. We'll see. But either way, I mean, Eck was the one who brought him in. Eck's the one that coached him as a younger player, and uh, that certainly paid dividends uh, down the road as well. Sam Herter, Hero HeroSports Sports joining us here uh, on, on is Now ESPN Radio. How about on the Montana side of things? I mean, where do you think the gap exists, and uh, what are the steps for Montana then to close the gap while also maintaining uh, what was a great jump uh, back into the upper echelon of the SCS this year?
1: Yeah, you know, one thing quickly on, on Jason Eck there, I sure. really like his defensive coordinator uh, hire, Dan oh, Jackson. Uh, yeah, Dan Jackson, he, yeah, Dan Jackson he, from he Vanderbilt, some... yep. Yep, he was at South Dakota State for, uh, a, you know, a, a good handful of years. And I did a story with him back in 2019, uh, I believe. And and he's he was a heck of a recruiter, a really good recruiter. Uh, he helped get a lot of that talent uh, on South Dakota State's roster. So I, I really like that hire by, uh, by Jason Eck. But going to the Montana, you know, side of things, you know, obviously a great step, you know, in, in the right direction uh, this season, you know, kind of get the, the, the swagger or, or whatever you want to call it back. You know, with your uh, with your program, and you know the. I didn't think either team in the first half in Frisco played particularly uh, well, um, and you know Montana was was right there. And if they capitalize on that on that goal line um, fourth down, if they capitalize on the Gronkowski interception or, or the pump that went off of the South Dakota State player, even if they get two touchdowns out of that, and it's it's fourteen to seven, I, honestly, I still think South Dakota State wins that game, but maybe our perception of, of Montana changes uh, a little bit where um, we, we, we believe they are much closer to an international title rather than, oh, they, they lost 23-3. to You know, there's just a huge gap between South Carolina State and, and, and everyone else. But, uh, you know, I think Montana has enough guys uh, next season uh, to make another run. You know, honestly, I think their schedule sets up uh, pretty nicely as well. I mean, Western Carolina and UND are probably both going to be ranked when, when Montana plays them. And so that's, that's potentially two ranked wins uh, in the non-conference right there to, to set yourself up for a high playoff seed um, in another uh, deep playoff run. Um, I, I think, you know, again, the uh, the linebackers, the, the secondary, the receivers, the, um, you know, the, the running back, uh, you know, tight end Cole Grossman, as we know right now, is, is coming back. I kind of think that's a forgotten piece in all this, that the, the best tight end in the FCS, you know, wasn't playing for Montana this year. So all of that is there, and I think Montana's offensive line is um, – can get better, but it, you know it's pretty close to, to being where you need it to be to win a national title. I think the defensive line needs more depth. Um, you obviously lose Alex Governor, which is going to hurt. I also don't know how they exactly go about doing this, but with a three-man front, you're going like two thirty-five, two ninety, two thirty-five across the board, and that's obviously by design. But I, it's it's hard to see that defensive line. That, that size holding up against the South Dakota State, uh, you know, level offensive line, and, and every year, no matter who wins the national title, whether it's uh, you know Montana, Montana State, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, I can honestly probably stop there. They're going to have a top level, you know, offensive line, and so you need a defensive line to counter that. And I just don't know if that three man front with guys that size, you know, can I can't see that can't win you a national title. I just think that needs to take the next step for Montana to get to that national championship uh, level.
0: He's Sam Herder, Hero Sports, here on Nuanas Dow ESPN Radio. We're up against us, so we got to let you go, Sam. Appreciate all the time throughout uh, this season. Let's do a couple in the offseason because I always love hearing from you. I always love your insight. But thanks for taking time throughout the year. And thanks so much for being here today. All right. That sounds good. Thank you as always. There you go. Sam Herder, Hero Sports. You can find all his fine work at heroesports.com. Let's talk some hoops. Big Sky Conference men's basketball opener, in Northern Colorado in town tonight. Sat down with Travis Dekir yesterday. We'll play you that conversation next. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio.
1: We all make choices that maybe aren't the best choice, and that can lead to dramatic consequences. In somebody's life. So we're really focusing on personal injury and criminal defense. We do a lot of different areas of the law, though. We have a strong background in real estate. Um, we handle family law for clients, ton of mediations. The ultimate reality is, is that people have bad days. And that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm, because we know the players, we know the game, we can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want.
0: If you've had a bad day, visit jschulte.com.
1: This is Nuanes Now
2: on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula.
0: is Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MTF. Coulter is here coming to you through the ESPN MT studio. There's a, a Big Sky Conference men's basketball game in town tonight. It's been m- more than a calendar year since that's occurred. We caught up with the head man for the Grizz earlier this week. We're all in on basketball season now. Down here at the University of Montana, coming to you live from Travis Takir's office, head coach of the University of Montana men's basketball team, and uh, at long last, conference opener at home. It seems like it's been forever we wait for this year. The Season's like halfway over already, and uh, you got Northern Colorado, NAU coming to town. So uh, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, happy New Year. What's the the wait been like? I mean, it's kind of strange to not have your home conference opener until whatever it's going to be, the eleventh of January.
2: Tough one. Um, you know, I, I've said this before. Is We didn't plan our schedule to come out the way it did. Some of the things got released at different times Uh, with the Summit Challenge being squeezed in when it was. uh, You look up and just a ton of road games back-to-back. And so even our non-conference, we'd have probably changed and played at home before going out for Christmas if we knew that it was going to work out this way. But fortunately for us, we found a way to win some games.
0: I think Riley had the status something like this, the longest road trip in like 17 years for Grizz basketball or something like that. I mean, how do you sort of get yourself prepared to be on the road? I mean, you guys were
2: on the road for pretty much a month. Correct. Um, you know, fortunately for the, fortunately for us, we were able to get some things tweaked. Idaho State played our game earlier yeah. than planned, which allowed us to get home and and have a night at home before going to Northern Colorado or North, uh, North Dakota State. Um, other than that, it was yeah, we we a lot of packing. Uh, I think my staff they all went home for Christmas and then everyone met in Utah. I believe my staff was on the road for two and a half weeks. (laughs) Matt,
0: wild. Well, uh, on the the note of the Summit League Challenge, you guys get a couple wins, one at North Dakota State and then one at home against South Dakota. So I know that the timing of all of this for this inaugural one was uh, sort of an interesting deal for coaches, but
2: just in terms of the actual competition, what do you think you guys get out of it? You've got to be happy to get a couple wins. Oh, definitely positive. Home games that a lot of teams in our conference can't get. Uh, So to get a pure home and home against a like opponent is huge. Uh, for us, We, you know, it seems like we play North Dakota State every year. I, I, you look at our track record, it seems like they may be in our conference. But uh, for us, I thought we played two good teams, two explosive offenses, so we had a chance defensively to be challenged and, and find ways to get our offense going. So it worked out for us, and uh, I think there's some positive things to this challenge moving forward. Travis Secure here on Nuwana's
0: Now ESPN Radio. Anna Moody shot the ball so well against NDSU. They didn't shoot the ball that well against South Dakota, but you guys had four other guys get into double figures. So, I mean, do you think that's progress for your, your offense?
2: Definitely. Uh, you know, with with money, I think that he made it a lot easier for us in a lot of ways. Didn't run as much offense, kind of put the ball in his hands, let him play ball screens, things like that. So losing him going into the Weaver game, it took us some time to kind of figure out um, how we wanted to operate. Uh, when you're when you're missing a guy that's about you know 30 percent of your offense so uh, I think the guys have done a good job of adjusting Um, the, the biggest thing for us that's been hard is that you know people have done what they can to take Moody away and when they're face guarding him and not helping off. we got to find ways to run offense without running through him, which is very difficult to do when you're when you're counting on 15 to 20 points a game. So I think the guys have found some ways to be productive, and I think he's found some ways to help us generate offense even when the ball's not in his hands.
0: We'll get to just your your rotation right now and what you're liking out of the guys that are kind of in that core seven or eight that you're playing right now, but uh, just start with that basic premise. Thing. I know you like to kind of tighten it up once it gets down to conference play.
2: Why has that always been sort of a part of your philosophy? I think it's important for guys to know when they're going in. Uh, I think it's important for guys to understand their roles. And, and when guys can set in and, and have an expectation from game to game to not have too much change and know what it is uh, that they're preparing for, they tend to be more consistent. Um, and then as coaches will be more consistent. When, you, when you're when you trying to play 13, 14 guys, you're going to play who's playing well, which means guys don't have long stretches to get loose and, and, and get going. And so a couple missed shots, and you, you might not be in for a long time it forces guys to make bad decisions. So when you tighten up your rotation, I think guys play through adversity a lot better than they would if they're not sure about themselves.
0: One guy who's been uh, playing well the last uh, three games, particularly, has been Brandon Whitney, and he's always been a guy who can get in the paint and score it. But I mean, he's putting up career high level assist numbers, and he's also rebounding it really well, pretty good for a six foot one guy. So, uh, what have you thought of him? It seems like he's uh, starting to play his best basketball here in his last year at Montana.
2: No question, I, I think we've seen two big jumps from him um, when we adjusted the, tra- the the lineup, and he was coming off the bench. I thought. It increased his level of aggression and and the pace that he was playing with added to a lot of things that we were doing offensively and made us a better team, uh, but also made him more productive. And then with money out sliding back in, he's playing the same way he was uh, off the bench with, with the other group and it's made everyone uh, more effective offensively, including himself. So hopefully he can keep playing that way.
0: Josh Vasquez knocked out a bunch of shots on Saturday, but I know that's something that's uh, only part of the repertoire. What do you like about the way he's playing? Because it seems like he's the guy that maybe you can do the, the most things, both sides in the, uh, in the backcourt
2: for you guys. He's the glue. Um, you can kind of plug him in wherever you need him um, based on who else is on the floor. Uh, he can think the game. He can play the game. He can manipulate the game. Um, And then he he finishes plays, well, by making shots. But he's the most steady in in terms of who he is and what he sees when he looks in the mirror. Um, And I I think that consistency and that calmness that he plays with is important for some of us high strung guys.
0: And Deshaun Thomas, he's been rebounding the ball really well. Everybody knows he can shoot it, and, you know, he's a big guy that's out on the perimeter sometimes, but seems like he's getting more comfortable uh, down in the
2: paint. You wonder if Lou being hurt. Yeah. Um, helped. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes when you play with guys like Josh Bannon um, and, and Lou, you you get used to them grabbing all the rebounds and not feeling like you have to get them. And uh, going to an Idaho State game, we we knew that there was just no way we were going to win that game if, if Deshaun didn't get a lot of rebounds. And we challenged him, and, and that was about as aggressive he had been the first four minutes of a game since we've had him. Um, and and then we go on the road to North Dakota State and. Uh, there's still question marks as to whether Lou would play and, and I think he just thought in his mind he had to pick up the slack and, and next thing you know we're uh, we're telling him now hey if you don't get double figure rebounds we're not going to feed you uh, but no it's, it's kind of the joke going on in the locker room but the reality is I think he found something um, and hopefully he can continue to do that you
0: you bring up Josh Bannon, and that's it's an interesting analysis because last year, especially down the stretch, he just did so much for you guys. I mean, it's a rare thing to have a guy that's going to be your your leading rebounder, probably your focal point defensively, and also the guy that's playing on the ball offensively at a six ten point forward. Basically, has that been? Was, do you think that's kind of an adjustment for the rest of the guys early on, being like, oh, this guy's not with us anymore. We we all kind of have to find other ways to to step up
2: here yeah i I think so i I think sometimes when you have a guy that's that versatile that you rely on it can suppress what others can do yeah um and and i don't mean that negatively just you rely on guys to do so many things and they create things for you or rebound for you or whatnot i think the summer without him um allowed some guys to come out of their shell and, and it also elevated the level of expectation we have not been a very good team rebounding Uh, a pretty good rebounding team the last couple of years. We relied on one guy, which is probably why we were in the bottom half of conference. Right now, we're rebounding at a very high level, and, and I think it's just because everyone knows we have to do it by committee.
0: The Big Sky Weekend starts this weekend with Northern Colorado here in town on Thursday and uh, Northern Arizona coming up on Saturday. So I uh, give us a scout on the Bears. They've had sort of this, this very similar system for about a decade, even though they've had a couple different head coaches. Is it pretty similar, the style that they want to play?
2: Offensively, in terms of the things that they're executing and, and how they get shots and things like that are very similar every year for the most part. And then they tweak it to their best players. And so, you know, they'll focus things on whoever their leading scorers are. I think they're a lot better offensively right now than they've ever been in terms of their amount of points that they're averaging and their explosion. And then probably not as... Uh, Not the same defensively. I won't say it's good, but not the same in terms of holding teams in the 50s. I think they're outscoring teams right now, um, which makes them a little more entertaining um, and and tougher to keep up with. So they'll be challenging us defensively big time. The
0: the defensive style they used to play, and I'm unsure if it's still the same or not, they used to love to just chase you off the three-point line, and they let you kind of get what you can get inside. Is Is it similar to the scout this time around?
2: Somewhat, um, you know, I, I think that they they've always had you know two lockdown defenders on right. the floor, whether it was the five and a guard or two perimeter players. I, I don't know that they have a guy specifically that's playing with that role. I think all five guys in the game think they're scoring the ball. They all are very aggressive offensively. There's more. This is probably the most guys they've had average double figures on one team together, um, and and so I don't know that the emphasis is the same. At least from the scout, right? I'm not in those meetings, so I don't know. Um, and, And so I think that that impacts it, right? For us, we've always had one or two guys that defense is what identified who they were in a Grizz uniform, I think they've got a lot of offensive weapons, um, and, and we've got to slow those guys down.
0: When it comes to this, the Thursday-Saturday sort of turnover of, of conference play, this is, the, I guess, the second time you guys have done it, but the first time you've done it here at home. What do you need to see out of your guys mentally when it comes from playing a Thursday and then a playing a Saturday in league?
2: The turnaround is always the hard part, right? Yeah. And and so you try not to spend too much time on one team. Um, in the past, we used to spend Monday on the scout for whoever we play Saturday. Uh, more recently, we spent more Mondays on ourselves and then maybe some themes for Saturday without necessarily having a conversation about Saturday's opponent. Um, and then two days prep for Thursday night's game. And and so I think our guys are locked in and, and ready for Northern Colorado. And then Saturday, Friday, it's a short turnaround. Right. And so you, it, it, it's more mental prep than physical prep for your Saturday opponent.
0: And then they use a team that you've had some battles with in, in recent years. Lost them last year in the tournament, and uh, they've proven to have success in Missoula from time to time. So I know you're not overlooking Northern Colorado, but what do you think of just the matchup
2: on Saturday against NAU? Another team that's, that's, that's very versatile offensively, uh, a weird matchup because they play four perimeter players. Mm-hmm. And so when you want to play double post, you got to figure out who guards who. And and so matchups become an issue, and, and I think that they've presented some problems for a lot of teams in, in that regard. They're coming in with seven Division One. Non conference wins. Um, so they're going to have a lot of confidence um, and a lot of weapons that can put the ball in the basket. So once again, our defense will be challenged. And offensively, if, if we do what we've been doing, play with pace and spread the floor out, we should be fine.
0: Grizz back at home. Big Sky Conference opening weekend. We'll have tickets for you each of the next couple days here on Nuanas. Now, Travis DeCure joining us uh, like he will most of the time, uh, once a week here on Nuanas. Now, thanks for being here, Coach. Anytime. Jewelry Design Center, now open in Missoula at 2501 Brook Street, across from the Montana Club. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life.
2: One, two, three, one. Is now on ESPN Radio.
0: It's amazing how much just like the music and just NFL films existing in general. Brainwash is the wrong word, but... uh infiltrated and influenced and captivated the minds of America, especially kids. I, I know there's so many people out there, probably you think back to when you were growing up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, especially like early on in the in the early Super Bowl era of the NFL, and just, you know, digging those tapes out and watch. I mean, who had more of an influence on a sport than Steve Sable and, and NFL films? I mean, th- there's, there's people... Here's a great example. I have no living memory of watching Lawrence Taylor play football. Lawrence Taylor was uh, certainly past his prime by the time I was of an age to have any sort of cognition or um, real status in the world, ability to remember or, or like anything yeah, Lawrence Taylor is absolutely one of my favorite athletes of all time. I had posters of Lawrence Taylor in my bedroom. I have a picture of Lawrence Taylor somewhere in this studio. I don't even know where I've hung it up. Somewhere that you can't see because I'm looking on TV. It's not on any wall that you guys can see. But, um, and that's all because of NFL films. Watching the NFL films about the Giants and the big blue crew and, and LT himself. Well, I mean, for Christmas. By the way, it's Nuanes now, ESPN Radio. Welcome back. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us. For Christmas. One of the things I got my seven-year-old nephew was a trip to Zootown Sports Cards. Shout out to our guys down at Zootown Sports Cards. It's a great place uh, for hobbyists of all ages, collectors of all ages. But my nephew, he's seven, okay? He was born in, in you know, whatever the math is, 2016. He was born decades after Walter Payton died and generations after Walter Payton even retired from the NFL, his parents weren't even born when Walter Payton was playing in the NFL. Yet I say, okay, buddy, we're gonna go to Zootown Sports Cards. I got twenty bucks for you. Let's go pick out some cards. Who do you want? He said, number one, I want Walter Payton. <laughs> it's amazing because he's been watching some highlights on YouTube and and yeah, he's got the the all time Bears team on his like NFL Street game on the GameCube, and it's just it's hilarious, man. But that's what makes sports great. On that note, speaking of legends. Three of them left the coaching ranks at least for now, and I think two of them that uh, stepped away yesterday are are certainly probably done. Bill Belichick, I think, is on the Mount Rushmore at the very least of all-time great NFL coaches, and many would argue that he's the greatest NFL coach of all time, certainly one of the most successful. It's kind of hard to argue against him when it comes to just the measurements of success, it's impossible to measure against him. You might throw guys like um, Don Shula in there because of his longevity and how much he meant to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, he was one of the only guys that had more longevity with a single franchise than Bill Belichick. Uh, you certainly probably could throw uh, Vince Lombardi into the, the uh, conversation just because of how much he was a trailblazer on the early end of the NFL Bill Parcells has to be up there somewhere in the, you know, the echelon of all time great NFL coaches. Of course, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh certainly has more clout than anybody because of how innovative he was, not only with the West Coast offense, but just the way he decided to run the organization from the top down. Uh the score settles itself. It's a great book. And I think it can influence people not just in the NFL and, and football coaching world, but just in the world of management and the world of of you know cumulative workplace. But Belichick, six Super Bowls in 24 years, made the playoffs perennially, went to the conference championship game 14 times, and won 10 of those conference championship games. So he has a a reputation, at least in the modern era, that's peerless. Pete Carroll, he'll always be remembered because he's one of the only guys that had success in both college and the NFL. He built the USC dynasty in the early 2000s. That was after he sort of got exiled from the NFL in his first go-round. And then, of course, Pete Carroll led the Seattle Seahawks to their first ever and their only ever Super Bowl championship. So he'll be a legend, at least in the Pacific Northwest, forever and certainly a Hall of Fame uh, NFL coach, regardless of uh, of region. And then the third, Nick Saban. I think Nick Saban is also probably the GOAT of modern-day NFL coaching, and he's probably up there on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, I, I don't know. Actually, that's a really good question. Who, who is your Mount Rushmore Of all time college football coaches. I'd say just, I didn't prepare this at all. I'm just completely spitballing, but like right off the top of my head, you got to throw Newt Rockney in there from Notre Dame with all the championships he won there in the early uh, times of college football. Bud Wilkinson's a guy that maybe people have forgotten a little bit about, but Bud Wilkinson was the head coach of Oklahoma in the 40s and the 50s, and they were a. Unbelievable dynasty, I and mean, they have, they still to this day have the all-time longest winning streak in the history of college football, any level, but particularly Division I football. This book I read, uh, I think probably three winters ago, The Undefeated by Jim Dent, all about Bud Wilkinson and the, the Oklahoma Sooners of that era. Such a good one. And... I mean, Bobby Bowden's probably in that conversation. Joe Paterno's probably in that conversation. Bear Bryant is certainly in that conversation. But in terms of the modern era, I think it's Nick Saban. I think Nick Saban is the number one guy of the 21st century, to be sure. Seven total national championships, six of them uh, at Alabama, and, of course, the one at LSU as well. And, uh, I mean, you never know. What would have happened if Drew Brees wouldn't have torn the rotator cuff in his throwing shoulder when the Miami Dolphins traded for Drew Brees? That injury was the first domino to fall that basically got Nick Saban fired from and, and booted out of the NFL. Saban then returns to college, and then he swiftly becomes uh, the greatest coach of his generation. And it, a lot of it stems from the fact that Drew Brees got hurt. Who knows? Who knows what would have happened without all that? I just thought it was striking because it was the fact that all three of those guys stepped away from the game at the exact same time, all of a pretty similar age. Carroll's the oldest one. He's 72. Belichick and Saban are both 71. I know Belichick wants to coach again. Where at remains to be seen. I'm thinking the Chargers might might be the top option, but who knows? I just thought it's a good reminder that all good things come to an end. It's also a good reminder that no matter who you are and how great of a coach you are, there is a shelf life on it. I mean, even Mac Brown gets fired, right? Mac Brown got fired at Texas after having one of the greatest runs in the modern era. It's just a matter of time, even if that time is almost a quarter century, like Belichick. There is a shelf life for everything, so I think it's just it's just worth remembering that no matter what, uh, time marches on. We'll talk more about the NFL, including all the teams that are left playing in the NFL. There's 14 of them, including 12 that will play on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday this upcoming weekend. Hour one of the books here on Nuana's now. Hour two coming right at you. It's all football all the time. Brooks Nuana's talking all things NFL playoffs from a betting perspective. We'll do two different segments. Pretty much all. Hour number two is going to be NFL. Keep it right here. No one is now. ESPN Radio. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here. And if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes. And they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear.